Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today we have a conversation with Emily, a member of the Recovery Warriors community, and I like to call her my legacy student because she has participated in so many of our educational programs over the years, starting with my very first one, How to Discover Your Life Path and Purpose. <laughs> and that like feels like ages ago. It was the very first time I ever did a program and it was so fun. We tied in a lot of archetypal work and looking at your soul strengths, which to plug here, if you fill out the survey that we have linked below the listener survey, then you get automatically entered into a raffle to win a free 45-minute soul strength strategy session with me. And this kind of, it really distills down all this work in the program, How to Discover Your Life Path and Purpose. And we can also go into your recovery story and see what blocks are there. The survey is really about getting to know you more as a listener and how we can better serve you and the whole community of listeners. So please use your voice, share your insights on the show and how we can improve it and get entered into the raffle. We will draw two new winners on the new moon. And if you submit your survey, you keep getting entered into the raffle every moon cycle. So if you don't win the first time, maybe you'll win the second or the third or the fourth. Who knows? You need to take about five minutes to fill out that listener survey in order to find out what fate has in store for you. Now, back to Emily. When I first met her, she had such a determination to recover. And now she's living a better life improving that recovery is possible. Emily is a shining example of how consistency pays off in the long run. I can't wait for you to hear more about how she puts that into practice. This episode is full of great advice and mindset shifts that are key to a successful and sustainable recovery. And for Emily, consistency really helped. So without further ado, let's get into this inspiring interview with Emily. Welcome to the show, Emily. I'm immensely grateful to be a part of your recovery journey and just to know a woman like you with such beautiful, unbound laughter. It literally fills the room. <laughs> it absolutely warms my heart. Thank you so much for being here to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's I'm really grateful to be here and it's so nice to finally be on the show after listening to it for so many years. So thank you. I know, isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, I, I know that we connected way back early on when I when I had this program called How to Discover Your Life Path and Purpose. And I remember there was something that drew you into that program at that time because it wasn't really related to eating disorders. What was what was that? Why did you 
or what were you going through at that period of time when you decided to to join? Yeah, so I mean, I first discovered the recovery worry sure. I can remember I was I was out for a walk and I, for some reason, I decided to Google recovery podcasts for the first time and I came across your show and I and I can't remember the first episode I listened to but I was like wow this is amazing and I said to my partner at the time you have to listen to this show it's like it really speaks to me and then I kind of went through the backlog the back catalog of all of your shows and really felt like it was a community I guess that I felt really drawn to and wanted to be more involved in and really felt a really strong connection and so when you had a course coming up I was like right I feel like it connected me to a different kind of way of looking at my recovery. It wasn't sort of, I'd always kind of my recovery had been really kind of fear based, like kind of, I was scared of, I was scared of not getting better. And I was also scared of getting better. And there was this this like kind of fear cycle. But when I started listening to your show, it felt like, you know, my, my recovery became more about love and hope and, and it, it just kind of completely turned things around the way I looked at it and that, that was I was really drawn to that and wanted to explore that more. So that's that's why I signed up to your first course and then I think since then I have <laughs> kind of signed up to almost every course you've done. And Yeah, you've been like the legacy student. I'm like every time I'm like, yes, Emily. Well, then you even led in the Courage Club, you led a laughter group. Now, for people this may be the first time they've heard of a laughter group, can you share what that is? and then I'll share about how cool it was to be led as you as a facilitator. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, so, yeah, laughter. I first started laughter, which is a weird thing to say, um, <laughs> in about 2010. And it was something I think I'd read about in the newspaper that people got together in a park and, and laughed, just like people get together in a park and do yoga or tai chi. But people gathered and laughed and I thought, wow, there's something so weird and amazing about that. And and I, after a couple of years of ex- like toying with the idea of going, I finally got the courage up one day and went. And it's this amazing experience where a group of people, there can be anywhere between two and, you know, 15 or 20 people. And we stand in a circle and effectively just laugh it's we kind of act out different scenarios kind of like theater sports so you might be making a milkshake you might be blowing up a balloon um, I remember that one yeah <laughs> um, and and it just the idea is that your body doesn't really know the difference between pretend and real laughter and so the amazing benefits you get from laughter are there even even if it's a little bit forced or if it doesn't come naturally at the start, but by forcing the laughter and by doing these really playful activities, generally the laughter starts to come naturally. And it's just, it's, it's a really amazing experience and a really amazing way to connect to people as well. It, it kind of just feels like play and, and that's a really amazing thing and something that the more I've done it, the more I've realized like all the amazing benefits that come from that. So yeah, and I, I after a while started leading the laughter group and kind of got really involved in it, and it's an amazing thing. And if anyone hasn't, if anyone is interested to try it, I would totally recommend trying it. 
I do too. I loved that experience of just gathering in a group. It was all virtual and just to be able to laugh. And you're, you're right. Like at first you're kind of like, okay, I'm totally forcing this. Like it doesn't feel authentic. And then all of a sudden it's just, you hit this point and you're like, I'm really laughing. <laughs> this is hysterical. And then you feel good after, right? Like how doesn't feel good after a good laugh? It releases endorphins and it has amazing kind of benefits for your like for blood pressure and like for reducing blood pressure and um like increasing your like like decreasing your stress levels and and all like all the benefits that come along with that on your body but also just for me like the effects are not just immediate but throughout the you know weeks afterwards all the hours in the day firstly like you just feel for the rest of the day, more kind of lighter in, in kind of spirit and that you start to laugh at things more throughout the day. Like I kind of feel like my response to things would be more to laugh at something as opposed to get fr- to getting frustrated about it and just to be able to laugh at myself more. Like I remember someone said to me in one of the first sessions, like you look at a little a little toddler, for example, or a little kid who falls over and it's funny, right? Like everyone laughs and they laugh unless they're hurt and they cry. But it's kind of funny when a little kid does something kind of silly, whereas an adult we get embarrassed and we wonder what people think. And But to be able to actually go back and laugh at that kind of thing is is really empowering because I think we all do like things that we find embarrassing or we all do kind of silly things sometimes and to be able to laugh at that as opposed to being like, oh, no, did anyone see that? How embarrassing. I'm like so awkward or whatever. I, it's it's really nice to be able to laugh at that. And I think laughter really helped me to to do that. Such a good skill. And I love how you're saying it's like the judgment piece because it can be a bit particular about like what type of bell peppers I want. Like, you know, like I like, I just want them to be like, perfect, I guess. I'm like perfectionist with my bell peppers. And like, I know people probably think like this woman has just touched like 30 bell peppers. Like, is she going to pick one? Especially and, in the time of COVID. <laughs> I know. Like, I know one's watching. I'm just sitting there like, mm, nope, not good enough. Okay, next. Um, and I recognize that sometimes I think it is like an obsessive compulsive thing where it's like, just pick a pepper. Uh, you know, it's not yeah, there's no perfect pepper. <laughs> but then it's just laughing at yourself like, oh my God, I've been picking up peppers for a minute. Okay, yeah. I really need to stop. <laughs> just move on it's and so accept true. that perfectly imperfect pepper. <laughs> oh, And it makes me think too of gratitude, how you're saying how like this laughter extends into your life once you start the practice, you just start to see it in like ordinary moments and you can turn to it throughout the whole day. And I know that you are a like a seasoned gratituder and you do it actually with your partner. So I love that you guys share that as a a way to bond. I do find that practice of gratitude also kind of extends out into your day and has allowed you to see more expand your vision yeah absolutely so we my partner and I share our gratitudes every night and we share what we're grateful for we share what we're proud of ourselves for and then we share one thing we really like about ourselves and oh so sweet it's it's really sweet and it's it's something that it 
I mean, I you know, it makes you reflect on all the really nice things about the day and and often on the hard things about the day too, you know, being proud of yourself for just getting through some really high anxiety moments or um but it, it does during the day I often think, Oh, this is something that I'm really grateful for today or you know, I'm really proud of myself for sitting with this, you know, these really tough ed feelings right now or I'm, you know, really proud of myself for just getting through today because today feels really hard. And and it's it kind of just constantly brings back that narrative in my mind, I think, sharing that every night. So, yeah, I find it a really, really powerful thing to do. And just the language, like I feel like I often find myself saying in my head or out loud, like I'm really grateful for this or I'm really proud of myself for for doing that, whereas in the past I probably wouldn't have used that wording. You didn't have the the language to sort of express that. So that's been really powerful. Words are powerful. And I, I liked how you mentioned like the authenticity of like owning where you're at, even if it was like a hard day. A lot of people I think think gratitude has to be this thing where it's like I have to be really happy or feeling like super abundant or in this state of being ultra grateful. But it's actually – more act as if, right? Like then when you can start to like be proud of yourself, it starts to create that dialogue of self-compassion. Like today was hard, but I showed up. Like that starts to be more of this loving kindness as opposed to, you know, I totally ruined today. Today sucked. Yeah, totally. And and you know, when I've had when I have a hard week, it's you know, some sometimes for, you know, a string of nights, it's like I'm really proud of myself for getting out of bed this morning. That was really tough. I'm really proud of myself for yeah, just getting through today. Or I'm really proud of myself for challenging Ed today. And and I think that can be really helpful if in that moment I'm feeling really anxious about, you know, food and body and to be able to say, well, I'm proud of myself for challenging Ed. Even and and knowing that even though I feel really kind of mixed about it in that moment and I'm finding it hard to feel positive about it knowing that I am really still really proud of myself for for challenging it and even though like I guess sometimes it's it's more saying it until I do believe it because sometimes I don't necessarily feel I feel frustrated and annoyed at myself but being able to say no I am proud of myself and kind of just reinforcing that narrative because I know that putting aside the Ed voice, I am proud of myself. And in that moment, I might not be feeling that, but it, it really helps just to reframe that narrative in my mind. That's so cool. And initially, you're coming from more of a fear-based approach to recovery, fear-based versus, you know, really, really um, wanting to get the courage to do it. Can you maybe talk a little more about that? Yeah. So I think when I first, I can still really clearly remember in the early, early stages of, of when I was first diagnosed with my eating disorder and I went to see a, a GP for the first time who, well, a doctor who specialised in eating disorders. And I can really clearly remember that she said to me, you know, if you don't, put on X amount of weight, I'm going to put you in treatment. And I remember coming home and just being so devastated and so scared 
and just crying and crying and crying. And, and I absolutely at that moment needed that push and I needed that wake up call, but it was, it was a real theme in my early stages of recovery where I was going through the process of weight restoration predominantly because I was so scared of getting in trouble for not. And, and I say getting in trouble, like from my treatment team, from uh, kind of feeling like I was letting down my friends and family if I wasn't. And while I, at that time I restored my weight, I hadn't addressed any of the underlying issues and I was still, I didn't feel like I was recovering for me. I felt like I was, I was going through these processes or this, this process to satisfy other people. And I would get in trouble if I didn't. And, and it was this really, it was a really, um, it was a really traumatic experience, but it was also that feeling of, I'm scared of not putting on weight or I'm scared of not, you know, getting better, <laughs> um, quote unquote, because I, you know, X is going to happen. I've been threatened with X, Y, Z if I don't get better. But I was also terrified of, of the process of recovery. I think when I, oh, and, and like I said, I think your show really kind of helped me to reframe it in a different way of, actually there's all these amazing things about like underneath my eating disorder and and once I strip back my eating disorder there's this amazing beautiful person under there and and that's me and (laughs) and I uh, that's worth fighting for and it it switched from being this process of being terrified of of recovering and, and terrified of not recovering to acknowledging that, yes, this is a really hard process and it doesn't mean that it's going to become easy, but I'm actually, I'm choosing this for me and I'm not doing this for anyone else. I'm choosing recovery because this is something that I want. And it, it was about, it was out of love for me and myself and and it was, it became a process that was hopeful, not, not so, I mean, it was still scary, but it wasn't only scary, it was also hopeful and for me, that was a huge turning point. And I think that's where I, I mean, I guess, you know, like it's recovery for me in that frame became so much more of a sustainable process, whereas it had been about doing it for other people and just sort of getting out of that dangerous sort of, like it was really kind of a health-based thing of like put on weight and then you'll be fine health-wise but it never really addressed the underlying issues. Whereas when my recovery became more about, you know, really reclaiming myself and letting my light shine and taking up space and knowing that I was worth recovering for, it's such a it's such a different way of looking at it. And it it became it, it is now so much more of a sustainable kind of recovery because I'm actually addressing all the things that that underlie my eating disorder and and I want to recover and I want to get to a place where, you know, it, I, I don't have my eating disorder but also that I have so much more acceptance and love for myself. Big mindset difference, right? Because one is like I have to. I have to do this for others. I have to gain this weight in order to 
you know, fall in line with the protocol that they're putting me on versus I want to. I want to wait restored despite it being hard for me, despite it being challenging. I want to because that's where I'm going to gain my life back to to put it towards things that matter to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think part of part of my eating disorder has always been a, a a rebellious thing and a way of saying I'm not okay and a, a way in, in some ways it feels like a way of almost punishing or hurting people around me who I feel like have let me down in some way it, it was really it, it's it's been a really strong kind of communication tool when I haven't been able to when I found it really hard to to kind of assert my emotions in other ways or assert how I'm feeling in other ways. And so the idea of recovering for someone else then was really, there, there was some really kind of strong conflicts in that because I was like, I don't want to get better for you because like I'm using this to communicate something to you and then you're telling me that I can't communicate. Like it was, I don't know, and it's not really a rational dialogue, but all of those ed that kind of story that my eating disorder was telling me was it was just that the, the, it was really hard to recover in that way because it was kind of reinforcing a lot of the things that my ed was telling me like well you know it my ed just kind of used that process against me almost I don't, I don't know if that really makes sense but oh yeah the, looking at it from a more I'm doing this for me it's like I'm gonna get re- better for me and this isn't about anyone else and all of these kind of stories that I've told myself or that I've picked up from the environment that I've been in recovery is actually the way recovery is is a way for me to turn that around and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks it doesn't matter what like recovering from my eating disorder does not mean that I'm saying that what anyone else did to me was okay. It doesn't mean that I'm agreeing with anyone else. I'm doing this for me and I can communicate those things in other ways, but my eating disorder is not that means of communication anymore. That too is a huge mindset shift because I know exactly what you're talking about where the eating disorder serves as a way to communicate your your suffering, communicate parts of your past that you didn't, that you felt violated around or just didn't disagree with that you didn't feel properly treated or cared for, whatever, you know, it's so complex for every person. But I've always found that eating disorders are a way to communicate something. They're just, you communicate it through your body, you communicate it through food or not eating food. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so great that you're in this space now where you're like, all right, you know, I don't agree with that, but I I want to move on with my life and I don't want this eating disorder to be the theme of it for the rest of my life trying to communicate this. I might as well learn assertiveness and start to have boundaries and that's, that's good. How has your boundary setting come? Because I know a big thing for you is wanting to have more me time and just be able to step away from always doing uh, I know you were one that always has a lot of like on your to-do list, like <laughs> definitely a doer, you know, uh, and just starting to be more 
be, just be and have your time to relax? How has that worked out for you? Oh my goodness. Boundaries, so the first part of your question, boundaries, something that was a complete, completely new concept to me. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I'm allowed to put up boundaries. I don't have to, like, I can just say no and not have to justify that. That's been a huge learning for me. And putting up boundaries still feels really uncomfortable and enforcing boundaries still feels really uncomfortable. But I also know that when when I'm in a place of feeling, I think one of the one of the things that I feel often when I'm not putting up boundaries is I feel a lot of resentment. I feel like everyone's kind of demanding my time and I suddenly feel like I'm being pulled in different directions and I'm not a nice person when I'm in that state. I know that. I get resentful. I'll get a text message from someone just saying hello when I get really like, why are you messaging me? Like, I don't have time for this. Like, stop imposing yourself on me. And yeah, but you probably answer them like, okay, hello. Yeah. <laughs> like, all like nice though. Like, so oh, lovely to hear so from nice you. to hear from you. <laughs> so true. And so <laughs> being able to say, well, hang on, if I put up boundaries and I actually, you know, I can, it, it's helped me to not get myself in those situations all the time where I feel kind of like, like my time and my space is being, encroached on I suddenly feel like okay you know this is a time that I will respond to messages and I respond to things in my own time and and I don't have to say yes to everything I don't have to accept every invite to do something I I don't have to you know I I I can I can say no if someone asks me to do something I can say no if someone says can I can we come around and for dinner or stay for a couple of nights I can say well actually this isn't a good time for me and that feels so empowering and also helps me I think to be a a better version of myself and it also allows me to you know I kind of always think of the the kind of little mantra that by saying yes to something, I'm saying no to something something else or, you know, flipped around the other way by saying no to something, I'm saying yes to something else. And and for me that's saying yes to looking after myself or it's saying yes to spending more time with the people who are really important to me and being able to be the best version of myself and be present with those people. So that's been a huge, it's been such a big learning for me and it's something I'm still learning to do and to not have to say no, I can't do that because, or no, but I can do it at this time and actually just saying like, no, it's not a good time for me and and not having to justify that is, is huge and still, and still really hard. And I also know that when I do it, it feels amazing. Um, and I think, yeah, just the general kind of to your, to the other part of your question around being and being more and doing less has been another huge challenge for me and something that has has really shifted for me in the last few years. I, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of doing and not much being. And I guess I've always kind of had those, uh, kind of the voice in my head saying, if I'm not doing things, I'm being lazy and, you know, s- sleeping in and wasting half a day or by just sitting around, I'm, 
I'm being unproductive and I'm wasting time and I, you know, should be doing all these things. And I've now really, by first of all, removing the word should from my language um, has made a huge difference and I became aware that I use that word a lot. <laughs> it's It's helped me so much to... I guess, I mean, it's helped me in a lot of ways. It's helped me to look after myself emotionally a lot more and and taking time to just read my book or have a bath or spend time in the garden. All of those things that, that might not be productive and in, in the past I may not have sort of allowed myself to do it now feel like really nurturing things to do. But it's also helped me to, I think a lot in my recovery, it's helped me to sit with, it's taught me to, or it's allowed me to practice sitting with uncomfortable ed emotions. So whereas in the past it might have, if I was feeling particularly anxious or uncomfortable in my body, it, my reaction might have been you know, some, some kind of compensatory behaviour or some kind of way of, you know, kind of trying to distract myself from those emotions. Whereas now it's like, well, I can sit, I can sit with that because I have these other tools and these things that I know that I can do just to let that emotion pass. So instead of saying, well, I'm feeling really anxious about that, I'm going to go and, you know, I don't know, like distract myself with work or I need to go and clean up the house or whatever to distract myself now it's like I'm actually just going to take a bath because that's the nicest thing to do right now or I'm going to light a candle and I'm going to read my book because that's actually the nicest thing that I can do for myself right now and I'm going to sit with these emotions and not try and make them just go away. One of the things I had to do at the start was actually just putting time in my calendar so I would at the start of the week because I think I would feel like if there was a night that I didn't have anything on after work that if someone said, can you do this, I'd be like, well, I, I, well, yeah, I guess I, I can because I don't have anything scheduled in my calendar and so I can't say no. And <laughs> when I say it out loud, it sounds so irrational, but I was like, no, well, of course I, like, I have no excuse. Why no, I no, I totally hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> put in my calendar, I was like, M time, and I would block it out from say so 6 to 9 p.m. on that night and I made sure I had two nights a week that was that was M time my calendar and so if someone asked me to do something I was like well no like I'm, I'm busy I've got other things on and that discipline was at the start the only way I could implement it because if it wasn't if there wasn't something in my calendar I found it really hard <laughs> to actually pencil that time in and now I, I look at a week and I've, I've got things on more than like two nights after work in that week, I'm like, oh, that feels like a pretty stressful week. So it's real. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not doing anything else this week after work because I know that I know that after a day working, most of the time, all I want to do is come home and have some quiet time. And if it's going out for a walk and listening to a podcast, and then coming home and having a bath, reading my book, whatever that might look like. It's such important time and it's what I look forward to for most of the day. And so building that time in and actually prioritising that time and knowing that it's okay to prioritise that time and say no to other things so that I can do that is 
is amazing and so empowering. I'm like, how did I not learn to do this earlier? This is amazing. Well, you've definitely have done a great job with it. I remember when you first started, because we were talking, yeah, I remember when you first started with M Time, like yeah. a couple of years ago. So I'm really happy to see that it's stuck now and it's like a very consistent thing that just comes automatically now. That's that's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> uh, and then we actually, this was fun. So you are, you and your partner did a big trip around the world and just traveled and you came <laughs> to the United States if, all the way from Australia and you had a stop in Austin, which was yes. so cool was to amazing. be able to spend time with you. And I remember we went to this one natural park here or natural pool called Barton Springs and we were getting in the waters pretty darn cold and we were getting in and uh, <laughs> we both were kind of just laughing about our different personality types where I'm one that would just like jump in because I'm like just get cold because then you deal with it faster and like you know and like you adjust and then you don't have to worry about this like like the long drawn out psychological and you're like I'm the person that likes to just like gently tow myself into tow first and then like get into the water. So it was fun to talk about that. And, you know, I'm curious to hear with recovery, do you feel like that has been a lot of your process too? And like how you're moving into the recovery is just kind of adjusting at each new level and like even with your body, like at each new level that it starts to weight restore, kind of get comfortable there. Okay. Going a little bit deeper. Okay. Getting comfortable there. Yeah, totally. It's it's a really good question because I feel like, you know, part of me and, and I think it's part of me sometimes thinks, you know, just just jump in a hundred percent and 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 it'll be over quicker and you know, you'll you'll just get used to it. And that's that's not that's not me, that's not how I kind of that's that that feels really difficult for me, I think, doing things in a kind of taking one step at a time and, and adjusting to that has been a much more sustainable process for me because I feel like there's almost like that backlash of when I just kind of 100% say, yep, I'm just 100% doing this. And and it's not to say that I don't decide that I'm 100% like committed to, to doing this but not sort of it's like biting off more than you can chew, right? And when I do that, I kind of have this backlash of like, ah, oh, this is way too hard and then kind of go back in a little cocoon for a while doing things slowly and and making small changes but in a having making small changes but doing those things consistently has been definitely the most I guess the most effective way to do things for me in recovery but it, it's also it I found it to be really really helpful and also incredibly powerful I'm, I'm reading the book Atomic Habits at the moment. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my God, so good. Um, by James Clear. Is it James Clear? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talks about that those like 1% changes kind of, you know, compound over time and make such a big difference. And it's it's so true. You know, the, the changes of, of doing our gratitudes every night or carving out the time for me or, or the, every time that I say no to something or every time that I assert a boundary or, you know, in a more kind of, specific to my eating disorder like every time I introduce a new food that was previously a fear food and it's that thing of like once it's in it's in and all of those changes 
really add up. And, you know, I can look back six months ago, like, you know, look back and say, well, it was like six months ago, it was really hard for me to eat, you know, whatever this food was. And now it's something that I don't even think twice about because it's, it's become, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's not scary anymore because I've overcome that. And so I think just those constant, like small changes, but making sure I do it every day and making sure I repeat it until it sort of, until it becomes easy or it loses its power over me or it's not scary anymore. That's, that's definitely been a, a really powerful thing for me. And it feels more achievable too, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm going to go and eat all of my fear foods, you know, one of them each night this week. Like that's probably not going to work. I mean, if it would, I'd just be like an absolute wreck <laughs> at the end of the week. And, and would probably just curl into a little ball the following week. So I feel like saying, well, I'm going to, you know, tackle a fear food one night a week and or, or I'm going to introduce this thing into like my breakfast every day and it's just a small change but once it's in, it's in and I'm going to keep doing that. They're the things that have been most helpful for me. Yeah. I think that systematic way of going about it is so helpful for so many people. No judgment, no comparison against others, as long as you're taking the steps forward and you're adjusting with each new challenge. And I think, and I think to that, like, it's been really interesting as well as a, as someone who does tend to be a perfectionist and does tend to be highly critical of myself, that idea of comparing my recovery to other people is something that I've really had to be aware of and and consciously step away from doing because I think you know recovery is really different for everyone. It looks different for everyone and it's it's not a it's not a linear process. It's you know when you see like the maps and it's like a graph and it's not a linear one. It's like all curly and it goes backwards and it goes up and it goes down and but you know you overall you're making progress but I think it's I think it's sometimes it's really hard when you compare like well that person is you know making really quick progress or or that person's doing things different to me it's been really helpful for me to remember that I'm on my own path and it's and and I never know what's going on for other people either like it might look to me like someone's going through this you know perfectly linear path of recovery but they're probably not (laughs) and because that's not usually what happens and life doesn't work like that. And so I think it's been really helpful for me also to remember to let go of that perfectionism in recovery too and that it's okay that that some days are harder than others and it's okay that, you know, there's still days where I'm like, wow, I found it easy to do this last week and this week it feels a lot harder and just having compassion for myself in that process because yeah, I think like anything, it's it it's going to be easier some weeks than others. It's going to be easier in some moments than others, and and that's that's okay. Yeah, I love your self compassion, your compassionate voice shining through. It's beautiful, <laughs> and it is so important to stay in your lane. Like, don't worry about other people. Stay in your lane, and 
the tortoise wins anyway, so just stay in your lane. <laughs> go as slow as you want to go, but just keep going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, this has been so great, and I, I am so proud of all the hard things that you have done, and just to see your growth, it, it it's been amazing even to meet you and get to know you more, and you just have such a beautiful light. I'm sure the listeners have just been able to see your laughter is contagious, and it, it really does just brighten up the day when anybody's around you. So, Yeah. Aww. No, thank you so much for having me on the show, Jess. It's It's been really nice, and I am so grateful to you and everything that you've created through Recovery Warriors and True Warrior and the Courage Club. It's, it's been such an important part of my recovery, so I'm so grateful for that. Well, you've been such an important part of my work, so I'm grateful for that. Mm. <laughs> hug. <laughs> hug. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Now let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one, lean into laughter. You know that feeling after a good hard laugh? You can create more of those in your life. Emily shared her experience of attending a laughter group. She enjoyed it so much that she went on to start leading some virtual laughter groups of her own inside of Recovery Warriors Courage Club. And yes, a laughter group is just how it sounds. You gather and laugh. It may sound a little awkward or forced at first. I've been there, done that, it does, but it can evolve into something genuine and you reap the benefits no matter what. Your body doesn't really know the difference between pretend and real laughter. And so the amazing benefits you get from laughter are there, even even if it's a little bit forced or if it doesn't come naturally at the start. But by forcing the laughter and by doing these really playful activities, generally the laughter starts to come naturally. And it's just a really amazing thing and something that the more I've done it, the more I've realized like all the amazing benefits that come from that. So if anyone is interested to try it, I would totally recommend trying it. It releases endorphins and it has amazing kind of benefits for your, like, like for reducing blood pressure and um, decreasing your stress levels and, and all, like all the benefits that come along with that on your body. There are so many benefits to laughter and the more you practice it, the more you'll find it in your life. It's helped Emily find humor and lightheartedness in areas of her life where she otherwise would have gotten upset and frustrated. Laughter has helped her be a kinder and gentler person to herself and cope with struggles in healthier ways. So find people to laugh with you, whether that's virtual or in person. And you can laugh on your own too. Throw in a comedy movie, watch a stand-up special, or scroll through some funny videos online. The saying is true. Sometimes laughter really is the best medicine. So that is key takeaway number one lean into laughter. Key takeaway number two, say yes to yourself with boundaries. Emily realized that in order to recover strong, she would have to start making time for herself. This was a big change because she was so used to having her calendar full, giving time to other people. Then she started to schedule herself into her calendar. She literally blocked it out as quote unquote M time, She used this time to relax and do things she enjoys instead of trying to always be there for other people at the expense of her mental health and recovery. Emily found power in saying no. I can, I can say no if someone asks me to do something. I can say no if someone says, can I, can we come around and for dinner or stay for a couple of nights? I can say, well, actually, this isn't a good time for me. And that feels so empowering and also 
helps me, I think, to be a better version of myself. And it also, the kind of little mantra that by saying yes to something, I'm saying no to something something else or, you know, flipped around the other way by saying no to something, I'm saying yes to something else. And, and for me, that's saying yes to looking after myself or it's saying yes to spending more time with the people who are really important to me and being able to be the best version of myself and be present with those people. It's been such a big learning for me. It's something I'm still learning to do and to not have to say, no, I can't do that because, or no, but I can do it at this time and actually just saying, like, no, it's not a good time for me and, and not having to justify that is, is huge and still, and still really hard. And I also know that when I do it, it feels amazing. It does feel amazing. And it is hard. Like so many things in recovery, setting boundaries is a skill you can learn. Remember, theory to practice to mastery. If you want to discover some realistic ways to achieve this, check out our episode titled Essential Skills for Setting Boundaries. I'll drop the link below in the episode notes for you. So that was key takeaway number two. Say yes to yourself with boundaries. Finally, key takeaway number three. Make small, realistic, and consistent changes. Recovery takes time. It's a daily practice that requires consistent steps to move forward. Some days feel like a huge leap forward and others feel like a step back. But what's important is you keep going one step at a time. Emily learned that trying to jump into the deep end and make huge changes all at once wasn't sustainable for her. It was the smaller, more realistic steps that stuck around in the end. And so I think just those constant small changes, but making sure I do it every day and making sure I repeat it until it becomes easy or it loses its power over me or it's not scary anymore. That's that's definitely been a, a really powerful thing for me. And it feels more achievable too, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm going to go and eat all of my fear foods, you know, one of them each night this week. Like that's probably not going to work. It would, I'd just be like an absolute wreck <laughs> at the end of the week and and would probably just curl into a little ball the following week. So I feel like saying, well, I'm going to tackle a fear food one night a week or, or I'm going to introduce this thing into like my breakfast every day and it's just a small change but once it's in, it's in and I'm going to keep doing that. They're the things that have been most helpful for me. No progress is too small to celebrate. Just committing 15 minutes every day to small change will add up to something huge in the long run. As I talk about a lot here on the show, 15 minutes is 1% of your day. Okay? 1% of your day is 15 minutes. You got it. This is the daily growth habit. Small things you can do in 15 minutes can lead to big changes in your life. Think of it as interest on an investment that compounds over time. You can practice this with a daily growth habit, our free gift of audio affirmations to help you make sustainable long-term change in recovery. Find out more at recoverywarriors.com slash habit. The link is in the episode notes below, along with all the other links that I mentioned during this show. Remember, in the end, the tortoise wins the race. Make small, realistic, and consistent changes. So these are our three key takeaways from this conversation with Emily. 
Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.